It's real simple. You have goals. And uh, a goal, uh, Nick, is a picture of yourself in the future where you're more capable, you're getting better results, you're happier. Okay, that's what a goal is. Really excited, intellectually engaged. No, got your brain focused on it. Motions, really committed to it. And then you hit a wall because you don't have the house to get there. I know that because if you had the house to get there, you'd be there. So the worst question you can ask in your life when you have a big goal is, how do I do this? And you say, now who can do this for me? Hi, I'm Nick Ninton, and welcome to Now to Next, the podcast where I interview some of the top experts and professionals all across the globe to talk about what's happening now and what you can expect next. Thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes. Who, not how, that is the subject of Dan Sullivan's uh, current book. We'll talk all about this and many other things. I have threatened you all many times that if I say his name too many times, it's like Beetlejuice, he will show up. Uh, a longtime friend, mentor, uh, collaborator, uh, Dan Sullivan, the founder of Strategic Coach. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you very much, Nick. And uh, I think this is the first time I've seen you really fully relaxed and not in full uh, work gear. You look uh, really relaxed and, uh, you know, you, you look almost Joe Rogan-ish right now. I mean, I'll, I'll take all of that. So I appreciate it. Hopefully Spotify is paying attention. Uh, Dan, there's so many places we could go. You've been, I mean, you've coached thousands of entrepreneurs across the globe for more than 40 years. Uh, I have referenced many times uh, on my show, many of the principles, but where I think is my favorite place to start is the idea of unique ability. Um, tell us a little bit about when you started really honing in on that concept and how people could can find their unique ability. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, I guess uh, all entrepreneurs have a certain amount of trust in their, uh, that they have an ability that if they could get out into the marketplace, um, it would be worth the risks to go out and not have any guarantees of income and not any, any guarantees. I know your history, <laughs> you know, I know uh, when you were a, a student and what you were doing when you were a student and long before that, when you were 14, 15, 16 years old, what you were doing. So there was a certain amount of uh, confidence in a capability that you could go out in the marketplace. I know you had bands back then and you did a lot. You did lots of things back then. Well, I, I would say that you talk about thousands of entrepreneurs. I personally coached 6,000 since 1974, and the company were into the 20,000s. And uh, I would say that entrepreneurs, their confidence about some kind of unique ability shows up early, but I don't think clarity about unique ability shows up. And I think it's your relationship with the marketplace that actually tells you you know, where you're really great and what people appreciate most about you. So I don't think it's something you can figure out outside of the relationship of uh, having relationships with check writers. <laughs> you know, that somebody uh, will write a check for what you can do. It tells you something about what you're good at. And uh, when they also appreciate what you can do, and they utilize what you can do, it's confirming that the thing that you had confidence in that you would risk going out and do that, you keep getting proof. And it keeps building throughout lifetime as you do it. Uh, 
But can I, I? I've never, I've never explained where the unique ability came from. This is the first time I'm getting the chance. I had a friend who was elected to the Canadian government, so he was a member of Parliament, and uh, uh, I knew him because he had run for mayor of Toronto, and I had uh, done some writing for him. I was a copywriter before I was a coach, and uh, he got appointed to a commission. This is 1980, 1980. And it was the year of the t disabled and the handicapped. And he asked me if I would sit in on the committees in Ottawa, which is our District of Columbia. And um, he, uh, he uh, said, I want you to interview handicapped people. So he said, let's make the report like uh, uh, interviews with handicapped people. And we picked out about 25, 30 different uh, disabilities and handicaps and uh, you know and this is the neat thing about the report that um, if you just saw a picture of their head and shoulders and uh, you saw how they talked you'd say these are just normal people but some of them couldn't walk some of them were deaf some of them were blind and uh, so I, I crossed the country back and forth. This is about a six month. I probably did hundreds of hours of interviews, which got transcribed down into copy. And I said, you know something? They're, they're just kind of disabled and they're kind of handicapped in a particularly vis uh, visible way. And I began thinking there's lots of areas of life where I'm just disabled. You know, there's a few things that I do really, really well but there are areas where I'm just as disabled as these other people in the sense that if I set my mind to do something, I couldn't follow through. I couldn't finish it, you know, and everything else. And I said, that sounds like a disability to me. You know, you, ha you have a goal, you act toward the goal and you can't get there. You can't get there. You, you run out of gas, you get discouraged, you don't have the abilities. And I said, so I think, uh, I think everybody's disabled in large areas of their life and but there are certain areas where they are almost extraordinarily capable okay but our school system mixes everything up you got to be good at everything you got to do math english geography history you know everything but uh you're only good at something you know uh, and uh, you know I, I mean your story nick is such a classic entrepreneurial story because you know uh uh, if I was watching little Nick Nanton uh, running running around when he was seven or eight years old, he said, he's all over the map, he's all over the map, you know. If only he'd apply himself, if only he'd concentrate, you know. I hope he, geez, I don't know what this guy is going to end up to uh, being because you were just all energy looking for a connecting point out, out in the world. So my theory of unique ability after that experience, I said, well, where am I? Um, disabled? Where am I handicapped? And it's anything having to do with details. It's anything having to do with consistent follow through day after day. Uh, it's anything backstage. You know, if you thought about life as a theater, if I'm not on front stage, I'm disabled. If I'm doing any backstage work, I'm disabled. Uh, I'm not good at managing people, uh, you know, but I'm, I'm really, really terrific when the spotlight goes on and I'm on stage. Okay, so I said to myself, in the future, only be on stage and then figure out everybody you need around you uh, to handle everything else. And fortunately, I was very fortunate, second marriage, but my second marriage has just been a, a dream come true. You, 
you know Babs, and uh, we've been together for 38 years, married for 34 years. And uh, just to give an example how good Babs is, she runs our entire company. So I'm responsible for creative content. Um, you know, I'm responsible for new ideas, and we we do it on a quarterly basis. Every quarter, there has, has to be new new ideas, new concepts. But we made the switch from virtual uh, from in-person workshops. Our whole business was in-person workshops. And we switched the company in about two days to virtual, you know, the whole company, yep. 100, 110 team members. And then within 10 days, we were delivering virtual content. And for the last uh, two quarters, every workshop virtual. And we're creating new new programs now that will only ever be virtual. And uh, and uh, the uh, I'm just going to hold up a number of the amount of hours I spent on the changeover of our company from in-person to virtual. This is how many hours. This is how many hours I spent on it. Wow. One, one quarter I was doing workshops in person. The next quarter I was doing workshops workshops in virtual. But I had nothing to do with the uh, transition. Uh, it's a beautiful thing. Well, it, it, that is all about the the who being in place, not how. We'll talk even more about it. But if you haven't gotten a copy of this book, uh, one of the simplest concepts ever that will guide the way you think about everything from here on out. You won't be able to unhear who, not yeah. how. Uh, so as we dig into that, Dan, the book is really based on a simple concept that our mutual friend Dean Jackson sort of coined. And I want to talk about um, the book, how it came about and what the concept is. But I, before I can't, I can't go there yet. I got a couple things I, I got to bring up. Um, yeah. Uh, number one is the fact that you said at the very beginning of this, the pandemic, the quarantine, you know, I was on a very early call with you when we were all trying not to panic, but we all knew that we didn't know what was next. And your advice was the best advice I got from anyone during uh, the pandemic, which is not, not shocking to me, but I'll share it with other people is the fact that the best thing that I could do, the best thing any of us could do, you share it with all of us is to just be the most useful person to everyone around you, all of your clients, all your prospects for Forget about money and just try to serve them well. Um, and you did that for us. And that was just an amazing place to start. I know a part of that advice comes from life experience through having this not be, uh, this wasn't your first scary time you've ever lived through. Do you want to give us a little context on that? Yeah. I mean, uh, my, my life is, you know, uh, one, one of the things I've had a lot of injuries in my life, a lot of orthopedic injuries. So I've been in uh, you know, I've been in general surgery 10 times and uh, I've been divorced. I've been bankrupt twice. Uh, I've gone through seven uh, downturns in what the, the general economy. Uh, yeah. And uh, and so, you know, I was born in 1944, just before D-Day. You know, this is the big world event. And, uh, you know, their uh, family farm. I grew up on a farm. The farm failed. And, uh, you know, we were thrown off the farm and, uh, you know, uh, had to my uh, well, uh, one of the great lessons. My father at 60 years old switched from being a farmer to a landscaper. And he had his most successful 25 years of business after he was 60 years old, after he had failed. That was a great role model for me that anything bad can actually free you up to do what you're really supposed to be doing. And I've just watched you, Nick, over the last seven months. And you've, I mean, you've just been so useful to so many people. 
And uh, I hope there's some paychecks in there, but the, the, what you're, the work that you're creating has been extraordinary. Well, thank you. It's uh, yeah, there there has been, and, and it really, I've been, I, I've always tried to be a good servant in the marketplace. But I've I've shared so much recently with people, and part of it codified by your advice and my experience is that, and and anytime you're not sure what to do next, stop and just serve. When you show up and serve people, the business, the opportunities, they'll be like, man, that person's really useful. I wonder if they could do this for me. And so yes, we have, uh, you know, we've well, done. Well, it's kind of funny because you sent me a, a trailer for my book yeah you know and i i said nickname you know uh, well you sent it to eleanora and eleanora said you got to see what nick's done i went on here was a perfect two minute trailer for the book you know about two weeks before uh release date and he said i hope you like it i hope you like it and uh, i i said you know i said this is amazing and it just uh, it just appeared and uh i've i probably told about a hundred People said, if you got something you want to make a big impact with, talk to Nick Nanton about doing a trailer. <laughs> so you got me as a lifetime marketer on this one. T- I You do a lot of things that uh, I recommend. As you know, I recommend you to a lot of our top entrepreneurs in the program. But it's because of the way that you do it and you give. Uh, you create the value before you ask for the opportunity. And I think that's the real key there. Well, that, I'm, I'm so glad. But that, that's what you taught me is the definition of an entrepreneur. I have it written over here still from our first notes uh, from the pandemic is an entrepreneur who provides value before they ask for anything in return. And that is the essence of what what it means yeah. to, to serve, right? And so yeah. the book is also divided up. It, it is around the big concept, which you are going to talk in a second about. But I, the four freedoms are something that has blown my mind about what it is that uh, we really are all after, I think, but entrepreneurs take the leap to really go make it happen. Uh, Would you just give us a brief breakdown of those four freedoms? Yeah, well, it just comes from coaching entrepreneurs almost a half a century now, and I'm constantly listening how how, uh, non-entrepreneurs talk about entrepreneurs. And they say, well, you could be an entrepreneur if you're just after money. You know, you could be an entrepreneur that if the only thing that matters to you is wealth. You, know, you could be an entrepreneur if you, you know, you want to, you want to leave behind the people that you grew up with, and you want to be bigger and better than everyone else. And I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this constant chatter about entrepreneurs, and I said, uh, kind of funny. I've been uh, coaching them for 50 years, and I don't have any experience of that being their motivation. Their motivation is freedom. They they just can't picture a, a path for themselves in the world as they see other people working, you know, working in jobs and losing all their time and being asked to work overtime and asked to work on weekends. And uh, even when they're working, it's they're not doing what they want to do. They're doing what they're getting paid to do. And I said they want to escape. They they don't want to get into uh, they don't want to get into that life. So they're willing to take a risk of going out in the marketplace and just saying, I think I have an ability, uh, you know, and uh, I I trust my ability that I'll supply. I'll be the employer of myself. I'll be the employer, and okay, I'll give myself a job. And I, if I have to work sixty hours, that's okay because I'm the I'm the employer here. And the other thing is they quickly find out is that you don't ask for opportunity first. You create something of value for someone. And then 
uh, you take your chances that they might reward you or not reward you, but you create the value anyway. So your whole point is always lead with value creation. Okay. And uh, the, the thing about, and but the first thing you, you got to secure in life as an entrepreneur is you got to have freedom of time. Okay. Okay. And, uh, and so what you can't, uh, what the big thing is, don't be doing things you're no good at. <laughs> if, if you want freedom of time, use your time only on things that you're really good at. And that means that you got to get other people right away. You got to create a team. Well, not even create a team, but it's a team inside, but it might be a team outside. You're a team outside for me. I rely totally on you, you know, for what you're best at. I, I rely on you. I consider Nick Nanton to be a member of my team. I consider Joe Polish to be a member of my team. I consider Dean Jackson to be a member of my team. Ben Hardy, who actually wrote the Who Not How, he's a member of my team because it's just about capabilities that I don't have but they have way more capability in particular areas than, uh, than, than I do, okay? And that, what that does, it means that your best abilities are only devoted to those things you do great, and guess what? You make more money, and that gives you freedom of money. And uh, I've gotten to the point now, uh, Nick, I'm 76, and I've got really big plans for the next 24 years getting to 100, and I said from... I've got Babs and I have more money than we could have ever conceived uh, conceived of. And I said, from now on, I only use money to buy the time of other who's. I just want to I just want to have enough money that any capability uh, in the world, I want to make it a good deal for somebody to uh, to link their capabilities up with our goals. So that's um, that's my idea. And, you know, at 76, you don't want to work real hard. Got that. Want to work smart. And basically, you know that hard work doesn't get you anywhere. You know, right. I mean, I mean, I work, you know, I, I put in good days and everything, but I For enjoy sure. I enjoy the days. And, um, you know, um, you've you know, I've known you for a decade or so, and uh, you've shifted enormously to just being doing the parts of uh, what you were doing 10 years ago. If what you were doing 10 years ago looks like this. Today, it looks like this. Right. And you just got all these skilled technicians, uh, you know, skilled every part of your, you know, the crafts that are required in your industry. That's a team now. That's not Nick out here doing this. That's not Nick out here doing this. And that's my goal for everybody. I mean, not not just people who are entre entrepreneurs. I'm talking about 8 billion people on the planet. You know, uh, we'd like to set up the conditions where. You can spend your life doing just doing the thing that you're uniquely good at and you uniquely enjoy, and it's uniquely valuable to other people. And you do that for your team. I mean, so you give your, your team freedom of time by letting them own unique ability teamwork, as you call it, because I don't want to lose people who work a job or who have a yeah. It's all about a team and all of us doing what we're best at and not wasting time doing things we're bad at, right? Yeah, and I tell my team, uh, we work nine to five. If you have to work after five o'clock, we want to know why. Okay. If you're working weekends, we want to know why. There's something wrong with the system. You should be able to go up. First year, when you work with us, you get six weeks free time. You get six weeks. You know, uh, the legal requirement in Canada is two weeks. Okay. We give them six weeks. And I said, I don't want them burned out. I, I you know, I, I want them to have another life besides strategic coach. I'd like them to have a, 
happy personal life. I'd like them to have great relationships. I'd like to, you know, I'd like them to, you know, have this other world where they get refreshed and they get rested and rejuvenated so that when they show up for their work, we say, we want you rest and rejuvenate, but when you come to work, we're only going to ask you what you're really to do, what you're really good at. That's the unique ability concept. Love that. Okay. And I will tell you this. We, uh, right now, we have 110 team members, and 70 of them are with us more than 10 years. Yeah, and you have some that have been there forever. Uh, so. 30, 30. Going on 30 right now. We have, uh, we have 25 that are more than 20 years, and we have... Uh, I think we have about five that are more than 25 and two will be 30 next year, 30, 30 years. And they said, where, where would I work where I can just do what I love doing? And, and be rewarded for it. So we've got freedom of time, freedom of money, freedom, what of, money, are the other two and freedom of relationship. So uh, freedom of relationship means in your personal life, uh, you can have the relationships you want. And, and in the work life, both backstage, that means inside your company, you like everybody that you're related to. And then in the marketplace, customers, clients, uh, your uh, special who's in the marketplace, you just want to uh, you just want to enjoy those relationships. We're social creatures and life is either good or bad, depending upon our relationships. Yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, our brain only works uh, when we're surrounded by good relationships. Got that. And then so what's our fourth freedom? Freedom of purpose. So what kind of big impact do you want to make on the planet? Okay. And um, the spectrum is as wide as can be what people, you know, what kind of impact they want to have. But think about it, Nick. You're an entrepreneur. You've taken care of all your personal needs. You've got a great personal life. You've got a great uh, vehicle called your entrepreneurial uh, uh, company. You've got great client networks. So you've got a lot of time for doing good things in the world where other people are working 60 hours a week. They don't have control over their time. They don't have enough money. They can't do good things in the world. If you go to any city, and I'm sure Orlando, well, (laughs) you know, Orlando is a really, really good example of that. And you look at all the public institutions, the parks and everything like that, 80% it was created by entrepreneurs. Universities created by entrepreneurs, hospitals funded by entrepreneurs, new medical, new medical programs, new medical breakthroughs funded by entrepreneurs, concerts, music halls, orchestras funded by entrepreneurs. Yeah, creating lots of value because they have that, those freedoms. I was I was actually uh, driving home here, and it's a bit of a different example, but I found it intriguing. My phone went off. I got an alert from ESPN, and it said the NBA has decided to start their season on Christmas Day. And I thought about how many wives and spouses and families looked at their phone when they got that alert, cursed loudly, and said, couldn't they have just started on the 26th? And as I was thinking about it, I mean, while you would think people at the top of their game, some of those people are getting paid $40, $50, $60 million a year. I mean, they do not have the freedom of time because they literally are told where they have to be. Baseball players are told where they have to be, when they have to be, what, 160 games a year, something crazy like that? Well, normal season, you know, it's in the 162. And that's just the season they have. 30 other games uh, in spring training. And then if they make the playoffs there, that might be 20 more games uh, in the play. They might, uh, you know, they might play 210 games in a season, you know, and, uh, and, uh, and baseball's lawn, basketball's lawn. Well, they're all lawn. And then, 
In football, football is really the most precarious. On any play, your career could end. Yes, and you can't replace it. I mean, that's yeah, it. Yeah, and, and you've been on a track since you were spotted at six years old, and they give you this special track, and they make you into a very, very important person. And at 35, when you blow out your knee, uh, bye-bye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's absolutely brutal. Uh, and, and so many people spend their entire life learning that skill that doesn't, unfortunately, doesn't translate to anything else. Now, yep. the tenacity does, the hard work, there are plenty of things. And we've seen some amazing athletes like Magic Johnson become an incredible entrepreneur, um, you know, yep. even Shaquille O'Neal. But it's it's not something that comes along with the game. It's something well, you have to develop on the side. Can I tell you something? What's that? There's, there's like a mountain of talent, okay? Yeah. But the spotlight is only at the top of the mountain. And they say, look at this person. He started off poor and through hard work, he got to the top of the mountain. Uh, but the truth is, uh, when you have a mountain, there has to be something at the top. You know, you got a mountain? Yeah. <laughs> Anytime you got a mountain, mountain there has to be something at, at the top. And this person just happens to be at top. You, you won't learn a single lesson from this person because... Uh, there had to be a top of the mountain, and he was top of the mountain. For some reason, 50% of it luck, you know. Uh, I believe life is 50% luck. And uh, uh, you know that uh, you weren't born where uh, in a place where your luck would have uh, done you any good, you know. I mean, you were born not in the United States. You were born someplace else. And based on the political conditions, the economic conditions, uh, probably not a good future for you and, you, you know, you and your family. You know, I was born at a great time in the United States, in northern Ohio. I was born in the smallest generation that uh, the United States had had, the first generation that was smaller than the generation behind. I was born in 44. And because of the Depression and the Second World War, there weren't many babies. So if you were a baby born when I was baby, it was just all abundance for the rest of your life. When you got to the school, there were more facilities for you, special teachings, great teachers, a lot of attention. I get out of school, go in, get a job, more jobs than there were people to apply for them. My whole life for uh, 76 years, just been straight abundance, very healthy good brain, great parents, great childhood, very happy childhood. Um, and, um, you know, you know, I've had my ups and downs, you know, but mostly through my own fault. You know, I mean, most of the bad things that happened to me, I was, uh, uh, you know, I had a real hand in designing them. But, uh, and, and I said, you know, um, I, I was just really lucky you know, I'm the right kind of person for this right time, you know, and every, you know, and everything. I said, that's luck. But I t will tell you, I've developed the skill over the course of my lifetime of taking advantage of my luck. That That is a, a great skill to have. Um, well, you because I know people who are just profoundly lucky who didn't develop the skill to take advantage of their luck. Totally, totally follow that. Um who not how the concept tell tell us about again grab the book anybody who doesn't have yeah, it it's great yeah. it's real simple it's real simple you have goals and uh, a goal uh, nick is a picture of yourself in the future where you're more capable you're getting better results you're happier okay that's what a goal is people say what are goals i said the goal is you in the future and you're better than you are now 
you're getting better results than you are now, and you're feeling really good about yourself, more so than today. So there's a difference between where you are and this future self. Okay, really excited, intellectually engaged. No, got your brain focused on it, motions really committed to it. And then you hit a wall because you don't have the house to get there. I know that because if you had the house to get there, you'd be there. <laughs> you'd be there. So the worst question you can ask in your life when you have a big goal is, how do I do this? And you say, now, who can do this for me? Yeah. And the entire school system from junior kindergarten to advanced graduate school is about you doing everything on your own. Yep. In the school system, if you get help, it's called cheating. Yep. You're not allowed, you're not allowed to collaborate, right? Yep. Yep. Somebody else did your homework? Cheating. Someone else did your test for you? Cheating. All the emphasis is on the how, you know, because what they're preparing you for is a really fierce competition when you get out of school with everybody else. Right. Okay. Okay. So they don't tell you, you know, there's a, there's a hard way of doing it and there's an easy way of doing it. Have a goal and then look around at all your classmates. And I say, I bet I could talk this person into it. I bet I could talk this person. You know, we'll all get reward. First of all, they, what I'm offering them is a lot more interesting than what they're doing right now. So first of all, there's going to be energy. There's going to be excitement and everything else. And um, we'll probably figure out along the way that there's some way that all of us can profit from this. Okay. And. Other people like hanging around you because you have really neat projects. You have really neat projects. You have really neat goals. And they all grow in skill when they're around you. And uh, I have a, a this is an interesting uh, insight. I have a union negotiator on the management side. So he negotiated union contracts for 40 years. And he said, I've discovered something that after 40 years of seeing contracts, of what's important to workers when they negotiate the contract, uh, money is number six. There's five things more important than money. And I said, really? Yeah, what is it? And he said, um, they, they would like to have a hand in improving the factory. And the management said, absolutely not. Okay, so, okay, can't do that. Uh, they would like to uh, have a hand in making the work more sensible that you got the right people doing the right things. Management says, no way. Number three, no way. Number four, no, no way. Number five, no way. And they said, okay, let's go for the money. Human beings do not do things for money. They need money. They want to make sure they have enough money, but it's not the primary motivation. It's the interestingness of the work. It's the sense of teamwork. It's the sense of improving things. It's the sense of doing things bigger as part of a team than they could ever do alone as an individual. So you be the person that creates really, with your goals, create really interesting projects for other people. It's amazing who comes along when you do that, right? Yep. As a matter of fact, it's a lot easier to use your best skills on behalf of someone else than it is for yourself. Ah, well put. Well, give a choice. You have a really great project, you love the client, you love the project that you're working on, or I could, uh, you could work on your shooting. Right. Ah, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do that another day. I'm a good enough shooter. Yep. 
I mean, all, all great truths. So that's sorry, sorry, sorry to give away personal information there. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. Uh, when, no, no, when... But think about it, think about it, think about the greatest work that you've done in your life. I bet it was pulling off something spectacular for someone else. Every time. And when it's well, big look, enough, got, people join you. Got 16 Emmy Awards to prove that you were doing something. Uh, also true. <laughs> no, was, no, but was it, weren't, these, weren't these great projects for, for other people? Absolutely. I mean, it's again, I, I always find people who are in their worst state of uh, their state of least enjoyment is when they're totally focused on themselves. And so I've always yep. found when you find something else to focus on and get everyone to come join you, it's just way more fun. Yeah. And look at the special projects that you do in your personal life, you know, that, you know, uh, you know, you know, you're correcting big uh, bad things that are happening in the world, you know, like you're you're doing things and you're just passionate about that. Yep. And so the the key here is taking instead of asking, how can I do this? Who can do this for me and who can do this with me? Right. I think that the idea of a team is not that that people are beneath you. The idea of a team is building people around you. And I think it's a very big distinction that a lot of people miss. If it's something that yeah. I, if it's something I don't want to do, it's not um, it's not worth much. So let me have someone below me. You can do this. I read a book recently called The Bezos Letters. I need he talks about how you should never hire someone you don't admire. It's a Jeff Bezos principle. And I that's, that could be down to the people who clean your house. Like, I should admire how much that person, and they should love how much they want to keep me clean, how much they want to keep my house clean, or how much they want to keep my lawn in order, or whatever it is. But so many people lose sight of this and just think if it's because, because it's something that I don't want to do, they start to think like, oh, I need to get someone beneath me to do that for me, right? Yeah, it's really funny. We have uh, uh, an overall, she's kind of like our overall personal property manager. So we have, uh, you've been to our place. We have, yep. a, you know, we have big places, you know, in Toronto and then we've expanded it. Big thing, our, one of the things we're really uh, delighted with is the gardens we can have. And uh, so uh, we've had, you know, two or three landscaping companies and everything and yard companies that were okay. You know, they, they did an okay job. And uh, so Dora, she's our, she's in her sixties. She was uh, uh, head flight attendant on a, on uh, European flights for an airline. And then she went into, uh, you know, she went into personal, personal service. And uh, so she ran, she ran her house and then we hired, someone to back her up to do the repetitive work so that she could do new work. And she's taken over our yards and, uh, and she's out there with the workers when they're doing the work. She said they, they can't work on the property unless I'm out there. And she says, I'm going to watch over them and do what they say they're going to do. So, uh, she was talking to one, I was coming out of one of our uh, houses and she, she was talking and she was really giving a lecture to someone. And, um, and uh, I said, you getting it straight from Dora? He says, she scares me to death. And I said, that's good. That's good. I wanted to let you in on a little secret. She scares me, too. So she's got a, a she's a, a attention to detail that uh, she's protecting us. We're paying money for this. And it's got to be great service. And she'll fire them. She says, I'm going to fire that. Dora, it's your call and everything like that. Neither Babs or I would have a clue how to do any of that work. 
Okay. But she loves being part of our lifestyle. She loves, uh, you know, she loves being in our home. And uh, this whole notion that people only want to do things for themselves and for money, um, it's a terrible, it's a terrible belief system because one is that it's never true. But secondly, it really makes life unpleasant. Completely. You don't want to, I mean, you don't want to do it. Like that's when, that's where procrastination comes in, right? You taught me how to have a different relationship with procrastination when it comes to how can I do this? I literally have, I just solved the problem right now. I'm still learning. I'm a slow learner, as you know, um, that I have an, I have an email in my inbox. I got written a few days ago. That is every time I look at it, it makes my stomach a little sick because I know what I have to do and I have to go. Well, I know what I don't have to do now, but what I'm supposed to do here is think that I have to go through this entire email and figure it out myself when this is not my skill set i really just need to forward it to someone else and say hey will you work this out for me and let me know the outcome as opposed to i've been procrastinating for three days on it because i don't want to deal with it yeah so i the one thing that i do somebody uh presents uh you know a workshop problem or we've got you know a scheduling problem and on a friday night i usually do it on a friday night and I'll send a, a, a note to people. Uh, here's here's the problem. Here's if we solve it, it looks like this and this and this and this. And uh, you know, and if we solve it, this is a really great result. If we don't solve it, it's a really bad result. And uh, I'm just going to tell you what it is. But I'd like you to think this through and give me the solution on Tuesday. And they come back and they've thought about it. They've talked to a whole bunch of other people. They probably spent four or five of their hours and they included maybe 10 or 15 hours of other people. We got a complete game plan on how we're going to do it. All I had to do was um, outline the context, tell them what tell them what it looked like when it was uh, successful. You know, when this is solved, this is true, this is true, this is true, this is true. Uh, now, tell me how to... Create the solution for me. I do this over and over and over again, and they love it. They love it. You've created a tool for that. It's called the Impact Filter. Tell us a little bit about yeah. how that tool works. Yeah, well, it's actually in the book. It's uh, Ben is actually Ben Hardy, who's the writer of the book. Because uh, so that book is now, you know, uh, this afternoon it was number thirty-six on Amazon out of a million books on Amazon. It's number thirty-six, and. Uh, you know, probably next week we'll be back up into the top 10. And I spent 45, I, I spent 45 hours on the book start to finish. And Ben, I had a little book called Who Not How, and I gave it to Ben. And I said, create a, create a market book for me. Create a best-selling market book for me. And any help you need, I'm going to make it easy for you. All the money that's made from the book, it's your money. Yeah, that blew the publisher's mind, right? I mean, so you, by the way, you didn't write a word well, of this book. They didn't know how to write the contract. They said, well, how do we write the contract? Who, who's the author? I said, I am. And they uh, uh, and they said, well, where did the checks go? To somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the IP we is got yours. Tucker, we got Tucker Max involved. Yep, Tucker's Tucker. terrific. Well, first of all, he's a great negotiator with publishers, you know, because uh, he knows the game. He's our he's our hardball guy when it comes to contracts and that. But he's a great strategist, you know. Uh, for example, we had uh, uh, an offer of someone that for fifty thousand dollars they would introduce us to networks where there were a million possible readers, and uh, but it wasn't in our launch plan or anything. 
And we had a discussion about I didn't I wasn't even in on the discussion, Babs and Eleonora and you know, Paul Paul Hamilton and Ben and Tucker were not. And Tucker just listened to the whole meeting and he said, Don't need it. He said, Don't need it. He said, We'll get the results just the way we're going, don't need it. And he I mean he just he didn't say anything. He says he got to the end, he says, You know about this? No, we're not gonna do that. He said, if it was really a big deal, they would have approached us six months ago. They knew about the book. It's need revenue now, right? Different game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, he said, uh, we'll make the top 10 in Wall Street Journal. And he says, that's the big one. He says, he said, you don't have to be number one. Just be in the top 10 and, uh, uh, and everything. So we're, you know, if we take Kindle and live, we're, uh, my goal was fifty thousand by Christmas time, and I think we're going to be twenty five thousand in three weeks. So, you know, and and a lot of people are sending copies to other people. You know, they they buy the book and they said, "I've got five ten people out to read this because I'd like to collaborate with them, and I want them to understand the philosophy of collaboration before they start." Yeah. So. Coaching with you has made me such a better collaborator and a better partner because I've now learned how to set up the relationship. I've, I'm going to say, well, I want to make sure the reason you want to invite me to collaborate is for the skill set that I actually bring to the table. If you want me to if we'll write reports or summaries or like, not going to happen. If you want my brain, if you want me to help you create media, if you want me to, to have you know impactful conversations and bring people to the table, like I'm all in for that. But I didn't really understand how to contextualize that before. And all it really does is is set boundaries. And, and not only that, it sets a context for people to understand what it, people have a, a perception of what it is that you do. And it's, it's so nice to let them in on what, no, here's what I really do. And here's the outcome I can get for you. Do you want that or not? But I'm only going to do it this way. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing is that uh, you can't create a collaboration unless it's win-win. In other words, you have to think about how the other person, if they devote their unique abilities, their better abilities than yours to the project, that they're going to get rewarded. Yeah. So it can't just, it can't just be about you. It, I mean, uh, you're not hiring a vendor. This isn't a vendor relationship. I mean, there's money to be made and uh, time has to be paid for, but that's a lesser issue than uh, this is going to be a really enjoyable, you're, you're going to love this project. Yeah, I mean, you probably have a lot of them where the crew that you have, let's just talk about your documentary film shoots. Yeah. I bet they feel, inc I, I can remember your crew coming up to me when I was in Scottsdale because you did some of the shooting when I was at Genius Network and they yeah. came up and they said, you know, I would pay to be here today just to, just to hear what the people here at this meeting are saying, you know, and they say, I'm being paid to be here to, and I get this, and and you could just really see the uh, the extra value that you bring to your projects, you know, in doing that, you know, and uh, you know, just the the people in coach I know who are getting film made, and you're doing all sorts of other projects with them. They're so excited. <laughs> By being involved in this kind of creative project, which isn't really part of what they do for a living, but you're letting them in on your world, you know, but your world is actually to magnify their world. It's a very symbiotic process and it works. It works well. But, and like you said, it's a collaboration. I think so many people don't approach 
everything that I approach everything now. I mean, even you, you taught me that even getting someone's business is, you know, and growing your own business is just a collaboration with the marketplace. You can't do it yeah. on your own. If someone yeah. can't, won't pay you. You can't grow. Now the, the check writer is 50% of the creative team. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a, that's a very valid, very valid point. And I also have realized, by the way, in your, and we should talk about this too, um, your simplifier multiplier concept that I'm only at best ever 50% of the equation of what is needed to start a project. So that's a very different out outlook than most people, particularly people who are starting out. We're sort of in this hustle culture, right? Where, oh, you got to hustle harder. You got to grind. You got you to put your head down. You got to dig the ditches. And I'm not saying by any means, the last seven months, I feel like I've been digging ditches. Don't get me wrong. But I've done none of it alone. Um, I, I never once thought, you know what? I'm going to go out and do this thing by myself. The outcome you can get by yourself is so small compared to inviting even one person, but far less three, four, five people of the right kinds of people into a collaboration. That's, I mean, when I songwrite, Dan, you know, that's like my, my euphoria. And the best part about songwriting is the fact that you're, I'm getting the best of what I have to offer you, and two to three other people. Can you describe that? Because it's a perfect example of who, not how, uh, you know, and just to do the setup because, uh, I think there's pure passion on your part. I mean, I think music and, uh, you know, and uh, songwriting and that is a pure passion on your part. But the way it's done when you go to Nashville is just extraordinary. And it's uh, two days. Is that right? I, yeah, I used to. Now I just write on Zoom. I write a few times a week because yeah, I don't have to go anywhere. It's isn't amazing. That great? Yeah. Isn't that great? Yeah. But just talk about the other team members and what the process is, because you you essentially start with a blank on the morning of one day yep. and by that, by, by that evening you have uh, top-notch talent singing the song uh, with, with great music with th great music that's what we try for and the, the whole thing about it is uh, and this is a great just a lesson i've been teaching even in interviews we all walk into the room with ideas like you nobody wants to write with somebody who has zero ideas and so we walk in the room with ideas but my best advice when I was given when I was first starting out is, hey, I know you might have been thinking about the song you want to write, particularly if you don't write a lot. You might have an idea from like six months ago that you're like, oh, I can't wait when I go to write. I'm going to write this. But the advice was, hey, write the best song in the room that day. And the best song yeah. in the room that day is a complete collaboration. And sometimes it's a it, sometimes it's a total, you know, mashup of two different ideas. But I also now tell people when you're doing an interview, I used to make the, the mistake of having, well, first of all, I would just wing it because I'm not a preparer. So then I, but so that was a mistake. Then I started ha preparing and I hated preparing. So I hated doing interviews. Then I realized I could have a who prepare for me. And then I would just yeah. read, read an outline before that. And then the big mistake I made there was I thought that I needed to have the, the interview that was on the paper. Then I really realized the best to my songwriting advice. The best interview I could have is the interview that's in the room that day. And so, yeah. so we come up with ideas and I've realized, I mean, out of um, another fun quip i was interviewing a guy who's a top he's won six world series of pokers daniel negranio i said daniel what do you think is the number one skill it takes to be a great poker player i said nick i think it's self-awareness I said, Daniel, don't you think that's the number one skill to be great at anything? He goes, you're probably right. And so in my great self-awareness, I've realized over the years, I've been playing guitar. I'm 40 today. I've been playing guitar since I was six years old. I've been playing guitar for 34 years. I can learn to play just about anything within reason. I realized a few years ago, I've been going to Nashville for 20 years, but I really pinpointed about 10 years ago when I stopped taking my guitar. I'm like... 
I am not a musical person. And that sounds funny. I write music, but there are certain people that just ooze music. And I don't know how to explain it other than when you meet them, you could hand them 37 instruments. You could hand them something. You could hand them a mouse and they will make it sound amazing. And so I just stopped trying to compete with that. I would just invite people into the room that were incredibly musical. I would have ideas. I've had lyric ideas, melody ideas. So the great thing about songwriting is, is a complete collaboration. Our only goal for that day. I mean, you can get someone who's not a great person in once or twice, you just don't write with them again. Uh, they say rule number one to be a great writer is to be a great hang. If you're not a great hang, you're not invited back. But so I'm going to bring idea and we're just going to shoot it around. And our, we, we typically have two yep. writes a day, 11 and four ish. And our only goal is to finish a song within that two to three hour window. So yep. let's collaborate. And so how do we lean on each other to make sure we didn't waste this morning or this afternoon? That's how it works. Yeah. Well, the thing is that if, uh, uh if, You've given yourself three days, you probably couldn't write it, but three hours you can write it. <laughs> yeah, because nobody can get in the way of the uh, the result when you only have three hours. You know, uh, yeah, a lot you can get a, get in the way a lot over three days. But you know, depending on the uh, I, I Babs and I have invested in a Broadway play right. musical, and it's on Lloyd Price, uh, one of the fir first people um, in the. Hall, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, right. and uh, he was a crossover from Rhythm and Blues, so we're talking 1951, 52, 53, and uh, he's still alive. He's 87, and Jeff Madoff, who you know, yep. Jeff, and uh, so Jeff is a, you know, his life has been video, so he did yeah. all Ralph Lauren's new uh Season uh, styles, you know, this clothing. Victoria's style. Secret, bunch Victoria's of Victoria's Secret, yep. yeah. And he teaches, you know, he teaches at university, he teaches uh, uh, creative careers. It's basically his career. How, how do you how do you have a career that's based on creating things? And so he teaches at the New School in New York. And he did a documentary on um, on Lloyd Price, and he was so blown away by this man. And first of all, he's uh, he, he he was in rock and roll, and he's in his 80s. That's a feat. That is, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, and he, you know, he's an active entrepreneur. He has food company, basically New Orleans type food. Uh, you know that he he's born in New Orleans, and uh, and uh, what was really interesting is uh, so what they do is. They put a script together, then they, they have a reading script, and they get actors in to do the reading script. And then you have a thing which is called the workshops. And under union rules in New York, you have 72 hours to get into workshops. And uh, you can't have the public there. You can have journalists there. You can have investors there, but you can't have the public. So we were investors, so we got to, got to go. And uh, so... Uh, they brought the uh, we met the the cast the cast came in and the choreographer and uh, and uh, i said uh, so how long have the musicians been working uh, you know the, you're going to have they had six musicians in so not an orchestra but they yeah. you know enough to do justice to the score and of course it's all original stuff it's like Price's own songs so right. it's not new music it's uh, well established music and so uh, he said, well, the uh, musicians will be here in about a uh, half hour. And I said, so how long they've been rehearsing? He says, first time they're seeing the music today. And I said, isn't this the workshop? He says, yeah, they sit down and they play the music. 
from the score. And he, I said, how do they do that? He says, it's what they do. <laughs> Seeing a master I, I like that. Prob- it's, prob- it's probably what you see in Nashville. Well, when you take so in Nashville, they they chart songs into into numbers, and so you can change the key at any second in time, from you know G to C minor. What it doesn't doesn't matter. You just and it just and, and it just goes. And uh, and I just made that up. Uh, C minor, not not a fun key. Um, but anyway, so you just like you go in numbers, and they'll change on the fly. And, and literally, when I record in Nashville, um, you'll they'll hear what's called a work tape. It sounds like typically you do it on an iPhone. It sounds terrible, but you sit, they'll play on the work tape, and the, the band will sit there in the room. They go, okay, okay, okay. So they hear it one time through. Every now and then, someone will say, hey, can I hear that one part again? They have a sheet full of numbers. They walk into the studio, and the drummer goes one. One, two, three, four, and they play the whole song. And then they typically go, um, hey, I think I messed up on the th- 13th bar. Put me in between here and there. Everyone else is quiet. And they go, dun, dun. okay, I got my part. Who else needs theirs? And it's just, <laughs> it, it's they just they speak in instrumentation. It is yep. absolutely uh, mind-blowing. Um, so, yeah, Dan, I also, we got to bring up, and people need to read the book and no, hear about no, I, it. I, I just want to say something when you've had a great Nashville day. Yeah. Uh, what you were there or you're there by Zoom. Uh, what's that feel like to you? Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, because a lot of your work, you're the guy in charge. You're, the, you know, a lot of the, your work, you're the producer, you're the overall director. But when you get that, uh, you know, uh, that day or two days or whatever it is, what's that do for you, Nick, to be part of that where every skill in the room is as good as mine or above mine what's that do for you and you put something together and and everybody's skills were melded into a single thing in other words they're all individuals they're all great in their own life they all have personal lives but for this you know 12 hours or whatever it is Whoop! We put everything together and we created something brand new. What's that feel like? And it's invigorating. I, I imagine it, it is a very similar feeling even when I make a documentary because there's so many people who are excellent at what they do that I couldn't do their skills. And you feel like you've conquered the world. I mean, I imagine it's what it feels like to be on a on a World Series championship team or a NBA championship team. You just everyone performed at the absolute best they possibly could, and it just feels great because you you masterfully executed something just by staying in your lane. And I think that that's the big secret. If you just learn, you got to continue developing who you are and what you do well. The only way to figure out what you're really great at is taking away the things you hate. I mean, there's, there's a process to find unique ability and everything else. But when you really, the greatest freedoms come from constraints, right? Which is a really interesting concept. I mean, no one ever talks about that way, but if you don't let go of pretty good things, you can never have something great. And the, the further I delve into my unique ability, which is, you know, I've worked on a lot with you is it's similar to yours. It's having impactful conversations that lead to produced outcomes. That is all that I do all day long, every day. And every time I get stuck in, sucked into an email where someone wants a list of these things, or a, I either have to remember to drive it back to a conversation or to flip it to somebody else who I admire how they love the detail of all these things. Um, we have about a minute to wrap here, Dan, but yeah. who, who not how? Um, yeah, yeah. W, w, well, first of all, uh, this is live, right? Uh, yes, Nick, it is. It's live. Yep. So we got a special deal because of a special problem. Okay, so uh, 
they because of the pandemic and the lockdown, uh, uh, publishers are having a hard time getting paper because all the paper mills were down for two or three weeks, and they yeah. have they have uh, skeleton screws. So we went through ten thousand books in three days, and we said to Hay House, they're our publisher, hey. We got to have more books, and they said, "Sorry, we we don't have enough paper." We don't. <laughs> and I said, "What the? What the? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, what?" And uh, so uh, Tucker uh, Tucker was really smart. He says, "Okay," uh, because they set prices. You know, the publisher right. sets prices, and then he said, uh, "Now until uh, no, for November first, uh, um, Kindles are ninety nine cents for this book." Well, you okay. must get and, it that way. And we, we had like 12,000 one day. We had 12,000 downloads. And this is on until Sunday. Okay. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking on a Friday. And the, and we had people, we had one person today on Joe's uh, thing who ordered 200 copies on Kindles, $200, you know, $200. Because you can, in, uh, on Kindle, you can say, who do you want to send this to? And you can send up to 999 people. So yeah. here's my tip. This is really great. I mean, it's got, if you have to pay full price, it's going to be your your great purchase for the next twelve months, no matter what you pay for it. Right. And but you're going to think about people that you want to collaborate with, and the way that I would start the collaboration is send them the book, and then discuss the book. Uh, brilliant plan. It tells you how to be as a collaborator and how to know if somebody else is a collaborator. And it, that's just, if you can't figure out, even if you're a collaborator, if the person on the other side has different motives and is more interested in taking money from you or whatever than collaborating, uh, it's, you actually read this book and you'll realize why all the things in your life that didn't work before, whether it is, uh, whether it's in business or in life, you I mean, you could, you could look at an ex marriage about this, a, a relationships, oh, yeah. Yeah. a team that failed. You can literally pin this on just about everything. And then they'll also find out, Dan, that the ultimate who not how collaboration you did not write a word of the book i did not write a, i am proud to say i did not write a, a word of this book <laughs> so uh i hey um that's that says all i need to hear right there uh your ip ben did a great job he's the who and you can check out the book get it i listened to it on kindle i loved it too i also there there are audio interviews or sorry on audible there's audio interviews with well, you and ben, uh, in between ben too. Does the complete reading of the book and then at the uh about eight times during the reading he stops and he said i'm just going to interview dan on you know something we just uh, uh, spotlighted in this chapter, and we go on. And I'm a freeform guy. I'm like you. I, everything's freeform. You know, uh, the whole notion that I would read word for word faithfully a whole book. Uh, you know, can I play with razor blades? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> permission granted to read what you want out of a book. I think most people never got that permission in, in grade school. So, uh, Dan, always great to be with you. Thank you so much for joining me here on Now to Next, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks again. Yeah, before, uh, make sure you set your clock back on Saturday night. <laughs> okay, I'm on it. I'll find a who for that. Thanks. Take care. Okay, great. Okay, bye. Thanks, Nick. Thanks for tuning in to Now to Next. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episode.